there, my traffic-loving friends. It is time again for the Driving You Crazy podcast. This is from the 11th best uh, state capital to live in. I'm Denver 7 traffic anchor Jason Luber. Can you believe Cheyenne, Wyoming is one stop ahead of us? I'm the overnight producer, Joseph Peters. No, I cannot believe Cheyenne is ahead of us. I cannot believe Denver is number 11, considering it is number one in my heart. I would like to give a shout-out to Montpelier, Vermont, number six on this list. What? Beautiful town, one of the hidden gems. Really? Of the, one of the hidden gems of the United States. One of the most beautiful little places you'll ever visit. Montpelier, I see you. Concord, New Hampshire is number seven on this list. If you couldn't tell, I'm from New England. Concord, New Hampshire, as beautiful as Montpelier is. If Montpelier is a mansion on the hill, Concord is a mobile home park in a desert. Really? Yeah. I didn't know they had deserts in uh It's just a gross little town, man. Like, nothing... I, not going to disparage Concord, New Hampshire. I'm sure we have plenty of fabulous listeners from there, too. A lot like Amarillo. Yeah, exactly. And my wife's... <laughs> my wife's... Uh, Closest big city is Hartford, Connecticut. They are number 49. I agree with that completely. Hartford is a terrible place. All right, then. Sorry, wife. Well, the two numbers from that little study that I that I saw from WalletHub uh, caught my eye. It was Denver is the first with the lowest unemployment rate and first for the percentage of millennial newcomers here. Uh, so the top five capitals to live in, who cares? We don't really care, honestly. <laughs> Denver is number one, and that is all that matters. I see Austin, Texas on the list. Respect to that. I also see Bismarck, North Dakota on the, this list. What an overvalued place to live right Bismarck? now. Bismarck? I would never want to live in Bismarck. Or Lincoln or, well, maybe Madison, but... Lincoln doesn't make any sense either. You're absolutely right. And Madison, Boise, maybe. I almost moved to... I wanted to move to Boise after college. Boise? I could see myself living in Boise. It seems like a very nice area. Unfortunately, yeah. it's only, what, like 20,000 people? Yes. <laughs> Well, this is the show where we talk about roads and traffic and transportation and here in Colorado and around the world. Speaking of the world, the old saying, Joseph, is the third time's the charm, right? There is a 69-year-old woman in Korea who finally passed her driver's test on attempt number 960. Good for her. Cha Sa Soon who lives in a village in South Korea, began her quest to obtain a driver's license in April of 2005. She started by taking the driving test once a day, five days a week. And she kept failing every single time. She was not detoured. Sure, she was frustrated. She just wanted to just pass it in the first time, but that just didn't happen. So she kept trying and trying and trying. And after a while, she upped the ante by going twice a week to take the test. But she still kept failing. She still failed every time, but she didn't give up, Joseph. This is perseverance to a to, to a T, right? This poor woman. Uh, it wasn't her driving skills that were her undoing, but the written test. She had difficulty understanding the terminology. So I guess they didn't tell her what she was getting wrong so she could go fix it and then do it correctly. She even tried the audible test where the questions were read to her, but that didn't help. Uh, so she switched back to the normal test. But one day, Joseph, one day it happened. Every blind squirrel finds an acorn now and now and again, right? She Even a broken clock is right twice a day. Amen. She finally passed one of the written tests, so she went on to take the driving skills test. But as you would guess, she failed those two. She failed four times behind the wheel. It wasn't until total try number 960 that she passed everything and became a licensed driver. My concern here is that she's a licensed driver. How did they let this happen? 
I would not let this happen. I would put it that way. She's out there driving on these roads right now. I guess you would think that she probably knows the law pretty well by now. How? I mean, shouldn't they make you wait if you fail the driving test three times in a row? Like, come back in six months. Don't yeah. don't come back right away, please. As you can imagine, her plight was becoming legendary. So during the time she tried to pass her test, she became a national celebrity in South Korea. She was known for her perseverance. For her accomplishment, though, get this. Hyundai, you know the, the Korean car maker? Right. They gave her a new car. <laughs> Keep trying and trying, and you get a new car. Well, you do what you can. Better right? than the price is right. Yikes. What a week of traffic and transportation stories, Joseph. Uh, I've been inundated with questions about local construction projects that seem to never end. I finally got an update on one of them. We'll talk about that later in the show in the mailbag segment. But have you ever heard of the Pittsburgh left? No. I, I've never even been to Pittsburgh, so I can't really venture a guess as to where we're going with this. All right. I bring this up because it happened in front of me the other day, right here, over here at Sherman and Spear, right behind the building here. Now, I'm sure you've seen this move in the past. Even though you don't know what it's called, I'm sure you've seen it. Now, the Pittsburgh left is when a driver who wants to turn left makes the turn the moment the traffic light turns green, cutting in front of the oncoming traffic right before they start going. So because of this, it's a common occurrence in Pittsburgh, frequently the oncoming cars accelerate slowly or just wait a few seconds to, to before they start going to allow that left turn to be completed without anyone really slowing down or, or being delayed at all or getting into a crash. Now, it's not a legal turn by any means. Most places would have this as a uh, you're not yielding to oncoming traffic. But in Pittsburgh, the Pittsburgh left is considered a matter of politeness. And to some longtime Pittsburghers, I don't know if that's really what you would call them. <laughs> I think it is. Uh, 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 it's a badge of civic honor. The mayor even says he's a big believer in the Pittsburgh left. And some drivers even flash their lights to, in- to indicate they're making that Pittsburgh left. How about you just Wait. go when you're supposed to and don't go when you're not supposed to? But actually, to. I could see it's sl- speeding up traffic because then you have fewer people waiting to make the left, right? Okay. Other regions have their own driving quirks, such as like exiting the freeway from the left lane, which is called the Jersey Slide. Uh, or the habit of veering across several freeway lanes in one motion, which is known as the California lane change. My father is very good at that. See, that California lane change is what I always thought of the, as the Jersey slide, the one where you're in the fast lane and you realize you need to get off on the freeway exit on the right side, so you cut across all four lanes of traffic very quickly yeah. so that you can get off timely. There's also a version of that called the Jersey slow, which my mother-in-law is very good at, where she very cautiously changes lanes and then checks over her shoulder to make sure there's not a car there <laughs> and very slowly changes lanes again. We call that one the Jersey Slow. I like that. Well, and then there's the Boston left that's very close to the Pittsburgh left. Uh, but transplants in those places ha- have to, to adapt, right? In Denver, we used to have the Barnes Dance. Okay, that's where all traffic stopped at the intersection. Actually, the traffic lights would be red for everybody. Mm-hmm. So the pedestrians could actually cross the intersection in every direction and not just like parallel or perpendicular i mean across traffic i mean they go in a diagonal is there still one of these crossways no. in town i thought there was still one they somewhere. got i think they got rid of most of them if not all of them uh there might be one gotcha left, the, but because there are definitely still lights where there are times so the pedestrians can cross and there's no traffic moving then they do the crossways obviously for rockies games and du right. games and yeah. stuff uh, and, and pittsburgh like denver has seen a, a huge influx of newcomers and so they've turned to pittsburgh the, t- the pittsburgh left into really a source of confusion because uh the, the, they don't know what's going on so you might hear the horn you might get a rude gesture like the one finger salute uh, the Pittsburgh left has also created headaches for another group of people, and this is what I was interested in, computer programmers at Uber who are testing their self-driving taxis in Pittsburgh, because Pittsburgh is apparently 
a pretty big center of robotic research. Never would have guessed that. Yeah, they, they have a lot of that over there. And they have some hilly terrain, some bridges that make it a challenge for programmers. So they like to use that as a test area. But it's hard to train a computer to act like a human and how to predict that Pittsburgh left because people can figure it out. They can give each other eye contact or flash their lights. So they, they, they kind of know what's going on. And they also know the local culture. So they know it's, it's a possibility. So this professor at Carnegie Mellon specializes in autonomous vehicles. He said a self-driving car could be programmed to wait a second or two at the light as it turns green before going, just in case somebody's going to make that unauthorized Pittsburgh left. But what if both the robot driver and the leftbound human driver end up pausing and then they both accelerate at the same time? It's a blammo, Batman. They crash. What? So they're talking, I just want to make sure that we're clear here, they're talking about programming the car to go against the rules of the road because they expect so many people to not follow the rules of the road. Right. So could they program the car to speed here on I-25 because so many other people do it? This is why we can't all get along, Jason. Another risk is the self-driving car can uh, cautiously crawls into the treacherous intersections, right? Let's say it just kind of creeps up there. Then it could be rear-ended, let's say, by, a, uh, by an impatient human. Mm-hmm. The police seem to tolerate this tradition of the Pittsburgh left. Uh, they say they don't condone it, but they also don't make a priority of cracking down on it either. Well, that makes sense, right? I mean, they certainly have bigger fish to fry in Pittsburgh than a couple people turning left a little bit too. Yeah, quickly. like Ben Roethlisberger. <laughs> That's Isn't probably it? how he ended up in his motorcycle crash, right? I think so. So uh, my, my mother-in-law, we were talking about her earlier, she calls a rolling stop a California stop. And we have no idea where that came from. I guess it's a New England thing to assume that everybody on the left coast is really rude and is going to run through a stop sign. So then we started doing some digging and we found this thing called the California Lookout Stop, which is where you yell look out as you're rolling through the red, li- red <laughs> light. Because everybody has sign. a convertible exactly. and you, you, or your windows are down because it's so nice out. So then, so we did a little digging even further and we found out that my relatives in the south in Tennessee call the same rolling stop a New York stop, which seems really obviously the southerners are going to think that the damn Yankees are well, going to roll through There's the a lot sign. of New York transplants in the south, especially in the Carolinas and down to Florida, obviously. Exactly. But this is the kicker. This is my favorite part of this whole sojourn. So if you go to Montreal and you roll through a stop sign, Uh the other drivers call it the American stop. But they have to say it in a French accent. American stop. (laughs) (laughs) Very nice. Well, now now you know what the Pittsburgh left is, right? Now you're going to be teaching everybody else about the Pittsburgh left, I'm going to get myself T-bone trying to do a Pittsburgh left later today. (laughs) And you know that Denver has another thing besides the uh, Barnes dance? It's called the Denver Boot. Have you heard? You've heard of the Denver Boot, right? That is not the one that you drank out of, correct? No, it's not. No, it's not. That's it's a big yellow thing that just oh. sticks there on the car and it locks I up. I do know right? what you're talking about. Okay, yeah. so the Denver Boot, it's basically that device there that prevents you from moving your car if you get too many tickets, so they can make sure that you pay all your tickets and then you get that removed and you can use your car again. Okay. It was first used here in, in Denver in 1955. They collected $18,000 in its first month of use. That's $18,000 in 1955 dollars. That's a lot of dollars. Uh, uh, although the wheel boot was first cast in steel, it soon was made with lighter aluminum. Uh, the device was sold to parking lot owners, hotels, all these different people. They even made a big one for farm equipment. <laughs> I, I can't see people in Sterling needing the Denver boot on their... John Deere tractor. Have you ever seen somebody drunk drive a John Deere tractor, man? No. They need to put the boot on that. Uh, and you know the Smithsonian Institute has a copy of the first Denver boot on display in Washington, D.C.? Do you believe that? 
Okay. Uh, it, it, it really allowed Denver to maintain one of the largest collection rates for parking fines of any city through its first 50 years, and they still obviously collect a lot of money in parking fines. That, uh, that um, I'm sorry to interrupt, but that statistic you're referring to, that's actual, like, percentage of parking tickets that actually wind up getting paid in this yeah. city compared to other cities. So they're better at enforcing that than in other cities. Right, because if you want your car back, which is going to be more valuable than what the parking tickets you owe... You're going to pay the fines. That's good. They need to put that on the brochure before people move out here. This is where we insert that more you know sound sound effect. The Can you do you it? Know. I, don't, I don't know the dun, sound effect. Dun, 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 oh, yeah. Like okay. Wait, wait, wait. We're an ABC station. We can't do that. That's an NBC thing, right? That's true. We have You're to right. play the Dancing with the Stars theme or something. <laughs> the Bachelor no? theme song, Hand oh, Out yeah. Some Roses. Do they, have a, do they have a theme song on The Bachelor? I don't watch it enough. It's crying. It's the oh, soundtrack it's... <laughs> of men and women crying. Of desperation and sad. <laughs> Crying and and fear and loneliness. Uh, how far? <laughs> what a tangent! How far should cities go? Do you think to reduce the possibility of crashes or deaths on city streets? What do you think about maybe lowering the speed limits down all the way to fifteen miles an hour? It's intriguing. Uh, there, this is a proposal by uh, Washington D.C. by their DOT. There, they want to lower the speed limit on most residential streets from twenty-five miles an hour to 20, and then down to 15 miles an hour around schools and parks and senior centers and youth centers. So the 15-mile-an-hour speed limit would apply basically most of the day, 7 a.m. to 11 p.m. Okay. So the plan includes tougher penalties as well for traffic violations in those zones because they want to target speeding, which uh, the officials there say is the leading factor in traffic deaths. So, so far this year, at least five traffic deaths have been reported in Washington, D.C., and so they're just sick of it. And huh. and they're just trying to come up with some kind of all right. This is this we're going to go this way and go all the way. It would make sense that speeding is a leading factor in traffic deaths. Where I find it a little interesting is they're talking about speeding in twenty five mile an hour zones as being a leading factor in traffic deaths. You would imagine that that would be something more that applies to the highway when people are doing one hundred ten when they're not supposed to, and they flip over and crash into other people or they're distracted. Exactly. Uh, the fines would also be increased to drivers caught going more than twenty five miles and over in a posted limit. So if let's say, goodness, you're going forty in a fifteen. <laughs> I mean, if it was a twenty five before, that's not too good bad. grief. They say the fines uh, would be up to five hundred dollars. Instead of they wanted to get a thousand dollars for the fines, but it would be five hundred. But twenty-five mile—that's a lot. Yeah. Rolling through a right uh, turn on red, just rolling through doing your California or New York stop, <laughs> it's going to cost you a hundred bucks compared to fifty what it is right now. And the fine for overtaking another vehicle that stopped at a crosswalk, so I guess passing like that, or at the intersection, uh, will double to five hundred dollars if you're not giving the pedestrians the right of way. Are that? It- do you know if this comes with increased enforcement? Like, there, are there going to be more people handing out tickets? You would imagine so. The California stop? Because you, like would, you would think if they're going to be increasing fines and putting an effort onto stopping these things, they're going to have more enforcement out there. Because the, the, the incentive for the police department is instead of catching 10 violators and getting the same money as they would to get one violator, right? So you would think that they would want... Right. More enforcement. Anyway, uh, I, this is the part that I found most interesting in this story. The plan also requires side guards to be installed on all large commercial vehicles in the district. Now, there's these side um, wings almost on a semi-truck. You see, I, I'm sure you've seen them. When you're driving down the, uh, down the highway and you see these, these usually white uh, side fins, if you will, that go under the truck, right? 
Okay. Those so it's usually like under the semi or under a truck that has high clearance. Because what they're worried about is people getting into those exposed spaces and then getting crushed by the wheels of the truck, whether it's especially for garbage trucks and for semis where somebody might fall under there, right? So those side guards basically cover those exposed spaces, shielding um, what they say are vulnerable road users from being swept underneath the wheels. Um, And they say that technology can be retrofitted into existing trucks. Now, it's mostly for pedestrians and bike riders, uh, and it and can be installed really on all delivery trucks or trash trucks or semi-trailers. You, you, I'm sure you've seen them. You, you, I know you've seen them already because yeah, I've no, seen sure. some of the trucks even on the back with those big wings. And it's really for aerodynamics for the most part, uh-huh. but then there's this added benefit. And, and New York City is going this route as well where they're requiring – here in the in the near future, all of their trucks to have these these side guards on them, um, and, and before they can drive in the city or make deliveries. I was going to say at some point that's going to have to be a, just a natural regulation out of necessity because trucks travel via the interstate interstate very regularly. Right, and also I mean it protects cars too. I, mean, I remember in driver's ed class, one of the big things my instructor stressed to me was that if you get distracted too long, and you're driving next to a semi, you're going to drive right under the semi and you're going to die. Like that was that that's the one thing from driver's ed that I remember above all else is don't get sucked underneath the semi truck. So anything to help prevent that especially in the beltway where like it's a nightmare for traffic no matter what time of the day you're riding through there and you got a lot of dum-dums like me who don't know where they're going. I think it's probably going to be helpful. All this stuff sounds good on paper. It does feel a little bit like the mommy state, I'm yes. sure, but you And know. you know those those side guards, if a vehicle hits it, you're it's still going to crush. I I don't think it's going to really stop. It's not strong enough to stop. But it, I think it would uh, it would a person off, or a bike yeah. uh, rider would bounce off probably. Okay, um, but so it, I think it would help okay. them more. But still, it, you you might bounce off. I I don't know. I mean, anything to help, anything to prevent fatalities. I think you got to support to to a certain extent. This hundred dollar fine for rolling through a red light, though. Come on now. <laughs> <laughs> That's because you do it all the time. I mean. Look, anytime you... It depends on the stop sign, right? That's the easiest way to incriminate yourself, right? Is to complain about the rules about rolling rolling stops. It's like, oh, you must do that all the time. I so. hate not being able to go 103 miles an hour on the interstate. Jason, when's the I last time I can't drive 55! <laughs> Sammy Hagar! Oh, man. All right, might be a good time to call halftime. Uh, coming back, I want to run by you a thought that I had pop in my head. I have a lot of thoughts that pop in my head, but this one was when I was driving by a pizza delivery guy. I used to be a pizza delivery guy, so this intrigued me. Uh, we'll have that and much, much more as the Driving You Crazy podcast continues. What's driving you crazy? The mailbag is next. I'm Lisa Hidalgo, and you're listening to the Driving You Crazy podcast with the crazy himself, Jason Luber. If you start your day with Denver 7, when you walk out the door, you are going to know everything you need to know. You're going to know if you want to be wearing shorts that day or a parka and a hat and gloves. Jason's going to give you all the details on the traffic so you will know which way you want to travel. And Mitch and I, we're going to give you all the information you need to know so you can have those great conversations around the water cooler. Dale Cedars, only on Denver 7. 
everyone is just so just nice. Everywhere you go, people are willing to teach you about things. So if I happen upon a scene or a neighborhood where I don't know anything about it, I'm walking around, you know, uh, looking confused. A lot of people come over and they're like, oh, you're obviously not from around here, which is a conversation that a lot of people have, considering that so many people are moving to the Denver metro area. Everyone's just willing to uh, kind of include you. And I think that that's the biggest thing is feeling included, no matter where you come from, whether it is Waco or whether it is uh, Casper, Wyoming. And I'm from San Francisco originally. A lot of people are coming to visit me here and they love it. It's something that they don't experience anywhere else. Amanda Del Castillo, only on Denver 7. A veces pienso que no tienes valor Si te perdiera estaría mejor Si vas a cambiar nunca lo sabré Eso es algo que nunca jamás descubriré Crees tener todo y no tienes nada No te esperaré llorándole a mi almohada Las cosas que dices no tienen conciencia Estás acabando toda mi paciencia Welcome back to the Driving You Crazy Podcast Where we aim to please and we please to aim does that mean anything? <laughs> I don't know, man. Going back to our earlier conversation, I was the number one scorer on my hockey team. You know, Were you? School. Yeah. <laughs> but now you're firing blanks. Firing blanks. You are familiar with Uber and Lyft, right? Because uh, I know you've used them in the past. That's I've correct. used them in the past. but And I think I'm pronouncing this right, but have you heard of Hovit? Is it Hovit or Hovit? I, I what think would you think? I would go with Hovit. Because it's spelled H-O-V-I-T. Well, anyway, this company is a Denver-based transportation service that says it's just like Uber and Lyft that was built, the company says, to solve the needs of riders and drivers. Now, this is a little bit of a different model than Uber and Lyft because they say that their system is a ride marketplace where drivers set their own price and riders also have the ability to choose their own price for that ride. That's where the difference is because on Uber and Lyft, you just click the button and it is what it is. Right. For the most part. And then if you're rerouted while you're on the Uber, then they charge you more. Correct. Right? And Lyft's just wiped that out. Uh, Lyft started an upfront pricing. So when you, once you book your ride, your, your price is locked in. So even if your driver takes seven wrong turns or can't figure out that you need to stay to the right of the tunnel when you come down Spear to get to the Channel 7 studios, doesn't affect the price at the end Because <laughs> I took an Uber where the guy says, all right, I'm, I don't want to go down this way. I'm going to go this way. So he reroutes himself to go basically the same distance and same time. But then Uber reach calculated the fee and charged me a bunch more, and I call them. You know, I, I said, "Yeah, the you thing. get upset about it." Yeah. It's like when people pick Colfax over Sixth Avenue when you're going down to Sheridan from where I live. Yeah, always go Sixth Avenue. It's just faster. So drivers on this uh, Hubit company can set their own price instead of it being set by the computer algorithm. And the company says, when the drivers compete, you save. So this is their business model right here. What they're saying is basically if you have a bunch of drivers, let's say there's 10 drivers, and you want to go from here, from one side of town to the other side of town, let's say you want to catch the game at Coors Field, and there are 10 drivers willing to do it, then they're competing for their your business by giving you a competitive rate. Um, so you open up the the app there, and you compare those prices of all the drivers before you request that ride, but you can also, if, if, you th- if you think that all the drivers are charging too much, then you can offer a price for that ride. If you think it should be $2 and they're all offering $10, then you, then you put it in there. So this is how they say it works. You enter your pickup location, your drop-off location. You enter the price you want to pay. And if, and I think that's a pretty big if, the driver decides to accept your price, the driver then comes over, picks you up, and that means your your price is locked for a ride. So if so if it is a dollar, well, good for you, but 
I, I would doubt you would get that. And there's also a dollar operational fee that's added to the offer at the end of your ride. This is their hint, and this is where it comes down to. If no drivers are accepting your offer, consider increasing your price. Once your ride is completed, you will have the opportunity to tip your driver. This is where it gets sticky because it would be really easy to say, oh, I'm going to pick up this person for $1 with the wink-wink agreement that they're going to tip you $15 on top of that for your ride to wherever you need to go. So all of a sudden, Hovit gets cut out of the equation and your driver winds up making all the money. And if they're getting tipped, let's say they're tipped cash, or maybe if you're tipped through the app, they might have to report it to the IRS. But when I was doing pizza delivery, it was an honor system when we were reporting tips to the IRS because most of it obviously was cash. Now, some of it was going through the check, so somebody would write a check for the pizza and they might put the tip on that check, and then the uh, then Blackjack or, or Domino's, whatever I was working for, right. uh, would give you that money because it's obviously not theirs for the tip, right? And so, um, the, the, but you would have to report that because that, that came as part of the income uh, on your on, on your tax return. I mean, you know that. Doing well, I'm going time. to withhold comment on this except to say that I waited tables for several years while I was in college and tended bar. And if you want to make friends with your bartender or your server, please tip in cash. Because that money probably will not get taxed at the end of the year. Yes, exactly. Uh, so they have three vehicle types like most of the other companies. They have the basic four-seat sedan. They have the black model that are newer cars that seats four or more passengers. as leather interiors. They have the SUVs that can seat seven uh, comfortably with plenty of cargo space, they say. And they, they also say they have wheelchair-accessible vehicles, uh, which was which – was, does, does Uber and Lyft do that too? I don't – you know what? I I think you would have to ask somebody who was disabled to really get a good read on that. Yeah. I haven't seen anything within the app, but I don't know that they would present it to me because I'm regularly abled. Right. You know, I would imagine that's something that they would offer. And it seems like it's a good way to build business because most of those people are stuck with nothing else except RTD to get them yeah. around if they don't have a vehicle of their own. Now, for the drivers, they can set their own price per mile and also per minute. So they can also update the price settings at any time. So let's say there were peak times, peak hours, game letting out. Then they can change their their rates uh, depending on what's going on. And they say with the lower commission and insurance fees that this company charges, the drivers will get to keep more of what they earn, unlike what Uber or Lyft charges the drivers. Interesting. So the app allows riders to also save favorite drivers to go directly um, and, and directly request rides with them. And I think this would be an important feature maybe for women, because you, you don't want to get into some rando's car, right? You want to get into maybe somebody's car that you're familiar with and you develop a rapport with. So you can request requ- uh, rides also who are friends or family, but then shouldn't your friends or family honestly give you free rides? Right? I completely agree with that. But then we go back to your tipping comment. Because then you're, let's say, you have a relationship with one of the drivers, and you guys do the wink, wink. Hey, I'm going to charge you a dollar to take you across town, but you're going to tip me twenty. Right. I mean, it, it seems like anything where you could build a book of people who are willing to give you rides on a regular basis. If you're in one of those situations where you need them regularly, that's smart. I mean, when you go to, I don't know about you, when I've traveled to cities like Atlantic City in the past or something like that, if you get a limo driver or a cab driver who you really like, you keep their card, yeah. and you don't call anybody else for the rest of the weekend, and that's just the end of it. So I think that's really po- powerful. Also, I did do a quick check while we, while we were going on through there. Uber has Uber Access, which oh, is specifically okay. for handicapped. Uh, the, the now this Hovit 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 whatever website says that 
if you're worried about getting a ride during a big event, peak hours, then they allow you to, to reserve future rides so you can have a ride waiting for you. But there's a $4 fee for that service. The company, this was the interesting thing, is that they're, that they're founded by a couple of people here in Denver. And this is where it's offered so far here in town with plans to expand around the country as soon as they can. Uh, the founders say that on their website that they wanted to create a platform that empowers drivers to, to sustain and grow to give control and choice back to drivers and riders. But they're also changing. They, I don't think they see some of these unintended consequences. And, and I've read that some of the drivers are reporting very low fare offers, like, you know, $10 to get from downtown to DIA. That's never that's not going to happen. Nobody's going to take you for 10 bucks out to DIA. Uh, but the idea of competition is good if it works. But there are some interesting flaws here that still probably need to be worked out. I think, and you see this in a lot of spots in the tech space, where being first to a concept is a really powerful thing. And so with something like Uber, where when you say you're going to use a ride-sharing system, you just say you're going to get an Uber. I say it, and I only use Lyft, but I find myself saying my Uber driver when I'm talking about it to people. They, this company is going to have a lot of ground to make up because a lot of Lyft drivers and Uber drivers, a lot, not all, but a lot of them will tell you they're on the platform that empowers drivers. They're on the platform that pays well, and they don't need somebody else to come in and change things. Now, I think that this company stands a very good shot of seeing some of their ideas absorbed by Lyft and Uber. I do think it's a really excellent idea to have a Rolodex of preferred drivers compared to like yeah. the one-off anonymity that you get with Uber and Lyft. So it'll be interesting to see where this particular company goes and obviously support small businesses and definitely support Denver businesses. Exactly. So that, But that brings me to my other idea that popped in my head. That Uber delivers delivers food, right? Correct. Called Uber Eats. So I was thinking, what if Domino's or Papa John's or any of the pizza delivery companies decided to partner with them exclusively to take over pizza delivery, right? Mm-hmm. So because I was a driver for Domino's and for Blackjacks uh, a long time ago. In fact, my first job when I moved to Denver in '93, uh, I was working at the Domino's Pizza inside Mile High Stadium. It was the first year for the Rockies, Colorado Rockies. Uh, the Pope came, delivered. You know, it was the uh, uh, World the, Youth Day. Was he in his bubble car? He was in the bubble car. They actually drove him into Mile High, <laughs> and they he went around the track there, uh, around where the football field is, uh-huh. and his bubble car. And then he got out and got on stage because the stage was right in front of the South Stands. And then it was <laughs> the funniest thing. So he gets out there and he starts speaking, and then it starts raining. He stopped speaking, and it stopped raining. Of course. It was just it, typical. <laughs> it was it was a good job be, working for Domino's Pizza, right? But I, I think being a delivery gi- driver, honestly, was one of the best jobs I ever had. Except for the time that I was chased downtown and nearly robbed in five points. It was before the redevelopment. Yes. There was also this one time I was delivering uh, to this house, and I opened the door, and they're, and they're all gathered around their TV that's right there in the living room, and it was the OJ chase. And so this guy invites me in. And I'm watching the OJ chase for like 15 minutes in this guy's house. I, I you know, I, I probably got to go back and deliver some more pies. But that's amazing. Uh, anyway, overall, it was one of the best jobs I ever had. So it was, I mean, cash and free pizza—you can, you can't go wrong there. I felt the same way as a bartender, man. Cash, free steaks, free salads—I'm good. So these pizza places, imagine this—they hire. All right, so they hired drivers. So they hired me when I was there. We got paid minimum wage, basically, um, and you get paid for mileage. You obviously get tips, and in a pizza shop. The highest costs always come from labor, so eliminate all those driver salaries and shift the cost fully to the customers, making them pay the full service charge, which is what, five bucks for, for Uber Eats, right? Right. So 
imagine if you get your pizza for you, you get two medium pizzas for two toppings and it costs you 12 or 15 bucks right mm-hmm. so let's say it costs you 15 bucks you throw on the five dollar delivery charge a couple bucks for for tip if you wanted to um and there you go so you're done with it and, and uh so that so the customer pays all that money and the pizza shop would save a whole ton of money a right. ton of dough. That's like what half their payroll right there is just the delivery. Just drivers. the delivery guys, because yeah. then they have some cooks and the managers, that sort of thing. But otherwise, it's all delivery people, right? Right. Uh, I don't know about the old thirty-minute guarantee. If you would get your food there <laughs> quickly, can we? Can I just? Funny story about that 30-minute guarantee. It's illegal. It doesn't hold up in a court of law. You can't make the 30-minute guarantee anymore (laughs) because drivers do really dangerous things when they're trying to uphold that 30-minute guarantee. Yes, yes, they certainly do. But you know what? You could get maybe think about this way. Your Uber Eats guy that delivers now for Domino's takes your Domino's, and then you also called in an order over at the Chinese delivery place right next door. He picks up your Chinese food, your wontons, and then you're delivered – by different foods from the same person, right there. So, are you are you familiar at the with same time? Grubhub, I think, offers like a version of this. They're not associated with a lot of the corporate chains right now, but I, I want to say it's Grubhub where you can send them to a Seven Eleven. They'll pick up whatever you want from the Seven Eleven. Then you send them to whatever restaurants you want. They come up with a full total for your order, and they come right to your door. The big problem with them is that they're not already associated with one of those big chains, like you mentioned, yeah. that has like the name recognition. So now I'm about to flip this on you. Okay. And I, it, this literally right. just came to me, but I'm really stoked about it. What if Uber just bought Pizza Hut? That was my mind blowing up. That's what no, I'm saying, I, like- though. I mean, Uber has the money now where you could conceivably see them, maybe not Pizza Hut because that's too large, but something like a Papa John's or maybe a little smaller than that even, like a Little Caesars. Couldn't you see them like jumping into the game and just saying, all right, now we're a pizza delivery company on the side too. Why not? We have all this money lying around. Interesting. Well, interesting. I mean, really, the possibilities here are endless. We've seen stranger things happen when it comes to companies merging for so-called brand synergy. I mean, what if you got already, you're already pre-approved, so they know you're an adult, so then the driver can also stop at the liquor store and get you a six-pack, brings you a pizza, get some wings and some cheesecake over from the Cheesecake Factory, all from those different places, for a reasonable fee. Joseph, you could, I mean, bam! I'm I'm sold. Give me, can they bring me an entire buffet? That's I think the real I, question. I, can you deliver could. Golden Corral to my house? <laughs> I don't think. How how is the Golden Corral? Terrible furs. Terrible. The, the old the country. I used to make fun of the country buffet that was right there at Highlands Ranch. We'd drive by and I'd I'd go to my wife because she there's no way she would ever go in there. And so I ever, and so I tell her I go, come on, let's go to the country buffet tonight, and she she just look at me, you know. She, you know how wives give you that oh, look? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So I'd get the look. And then then when it closed down, I said, thanks. Just thanks for my opportunity missed. My parents raised me to believe in the buffet because they did not want their children to have to wait for their food. They wanted their children to be able to go up and get their food as soon as possible, a.k.a. no whining. Didn't want to deal with any of the whining. So we went to a lot of buffets when I was younger. Then I moved to Vegas, and I found out that some buffets cost $55, and no one in their right mind can eat that, that amount of food at a buffet, no. no matter how good it is. And, you know, on a cruise boat, some of the fiercest competition is at the buffet line where people are going for lunch for the most part. Uh, they have an extraordinary amount of food there, um, but it's always a little bit un- unnerving on the cruise boat buffet line. The be- One of the best ones, they used to have one – over at uh, in, in Inverness, I think they had a great one in Inverness. Oh, you know the Darth Vader building, the old Lowe's um, hotel over there at Mississippi in Colorado. Yes. They used to have a great one. I don't know because it's a Marriott now or it's something else. Uh, 
It's some other I know hotel. It's been rebuilt, yeah. Anyway, um, but the best one by far, and it's it's like a thousand dollars. It's at the Broadmoor. Now they have this one on Sundays. It is. It, it, I'm not uh, going to jack this conversation. All I'm going to say is that we, my wife and I, have agreed to go to the Broadmoor at least once a year. It is a fantastic for place. It is. Yes, it is unbelievable. <laughs> it, it's a obviously a bit pricey. Come to Denver. Go to the Broadmoor. Broadmoor. We're accepting sponsors right now. Oh so. man, I love the Broadmoor. I've been—I can't tell you how many times I've been down there. It's—and uh, I have some t- tips and tricks about the Broadmoor if you ever need um, some advice I, going down there. So I, I, I will. Uh, all right, all right. Let's go to the mailbag. Uh, it's getting quite full these days. We got one from Rebecca in Denver. She writes. Will they ever finish the construction at Broadway in Mississippi? It's been years, and now they've taken out the sidewalk along Mississippi, so there's no way for pedestrians or cyclists to get across the railroad tracks without going north to Alameda or south to Evans. Rebecca doesn't count Iowa because it's hideously unsafe and not wheelchair accessible. Will the finished project restore pedestrian and bike access? All right, let me answer the last part first, Rebecca. Yes, pedestrian and bike access obviously will be wonderful when the work is all done. It it does seem like construction on Broadway has been going on for a long time, really ever since the Broncos moved out of the old Mile High Stadium. In reality, the work at Mississippi and Broadway is the last of the major improvements that are happening on South Broadway, south of I-25, down to Inglewood. Because it took four years for Denver to rebuild Broadway from Arizona Avenue all the way down to Yale. And that was basically 2009 to 2013. Then they took a little bit of a break, and it really looks good. It's nice. The businesses did suffer down there, but now they're, uh, they're in great shape. And the rebuild of Broadway in Mississippi, it started just about a year ago. And the majority of the work is already completed. Denver Public Works, when I, when I was talking to them, they say the installation of the storm sewer system is 95% complete. The fiber optic system is done, basically. Uh, the uh, traffic signals, the light poles, the electric work, that's about 80% complete. But the part that you see more often is the road surface, right? And Denver Public Works said to me that the roadway grading and concrete paving is only about 60% complete. So that's the most work that you're going to see done over the next couple of weeks. They say that the necessary work to by XL, the uh, utility work, is all finished. So they're going to start the process of now paving the rest of the west side lanes, which will be eventually southbound Broadway. Okay. Um, they'll be doing that in the next couple of weeks. When the first shovel went in the ground, the plan was to have all work completed by the end of 2017. But obviously, the good weather has allowed the work to move much faster than expected. And the new timeline of this project to be fully complete is by early summer. And I think you're going to see a dramatic improvement in traffic flow once all that paving is finished here in the next several months which will be that southbound side of Broadway, and then they have to come in and do the official restriping and, and make the intersection nice and pretty and sweep it and all that stuff. But right. until then, really, we're going to have to hope for some warm, continuing warm weather. We've had great weather here in February, and it's really allowed the construction crews to keep going. So if you if you hope for warm weather and you want con- the end of some of these construction projects early, then, then that's what you need to do. South Broadway, one of the gems of this city, though. I think a lot of people pay attention to Rhino and Low High and all this stuff that's only four letters long, but South Broadway is one of my favorite neighborhoods in the Oh, it's city. great, especially down through all the antique stores yep. down there, uh, just south of this project, and then going down towards Evans. And A lot of, uh, this seems to be a recurring theme right now, a lot of fantastic restaurants in that neck of the woods. Yeah. So shout out to the Hornet, shout out to Chowder Room. Like- <laughs> 
Pasquini's is down My there. My man, yes. Uh, so with that, I think uh, it's about time because I think we're running out of time. Uh, for uh, time for uh, to wrap up this episode of the Driving You Crazy podcast. Besides, I have to get to the compound early uh, for the coming cold. I think because we're going to get some snow, maybe a little bit of snow later on in the week. You know, seventy to thirty, man. Only yep. in only in Colorado. I have to batten down the hatches. Uh, thanks again for listening. Thanks again for supporting and uh, writing into the podcast. Of course, we're here for you with the Twitter at uh, Denver Seven Traffic is mine. Uh, I am Joseph Denver Seven. I also didn't get to say this earlier. Pittsburgh, bottom five of cities. Sorry, Emily Munoz. Does she like Pittsburgh? She, she's from Pittsburgh. Really? Yeah. She is our executive producer for the morning program, and we will unceremoniously probably make fun of her later on in other episodes. <laughs> Does she listen to our podcast? She does. She, she does all the time now? Oh, yeah. Pittsburgh left, man. She's going to be thrilled. She's going to be thrilled with the Pittsburgh left? I mean, I don't know if she does the Pittsburgh left. She's probably part of the traffic problem in Denver that we were referring to. Right. <laughs> Could be. <laughs> anyway, we'll see you again next time. Thanks again for listening to the Driving You Crazy podcast. Until then, I'm Jason Luber, the traffic guy. I'm Joseph Peters, the overnight producer. Stay safe, and as always, happy motoring. Happy motoring.